Scott's Turf Builder Thicker Lawn has announced that they have obtained the solution to getting a thick, lush green lawn in exchange for all of your hard work. A pretty sweet deal for both sides. It has everything you need to turn your lawn into the thick green paradise that you deserve. With its 3-in-1 solution, you can get up to a 50% thicker lawn with just one application. With Scott's Turf Builder Thicker Lawn, you could finally get the thickest, greenest lawn you've always dreamed of. Get thicker, quicker, and grab a bag today. This is a Scott's Yard. Also, Scott's No Quibble Money Back Guarantee states, if you're not satisfied, you get your money back. Hey, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here with Max Kellerman of ESPN, we talk a lot of NBA, a lot of Sixers, the Knicks, and plenty more. And before you get to Max and I, make sure you're also listening to The Low Post with Zach Lowe, The Hoop Collective with Brian Windhurst, and the SVP Pod with the great Scott Van Pelt. Now let's get to our visit with ESPN's one and only Max Kellerman. Here in the Seaport Pier 17 studios with Max Kellerman. Max, how are you, man? What's going on? Well, we got to try this again. Yeah, so for full disclosure here, we did a podcast in Chicago All-Star Weekend. We had Malika Andrews there with us. And it was I thought it was a very good pod. We talked um, a bunch of things and then... Like I start listening to the, I had that little panic in my mind where I kept looking at the audio, the little dial, and it didn't seem like your voice was where it needed to be. And finally, at the end, it sounded like crap. And I just said, "The lost tapes, the lost tapes." Yeah, it's all right. It's good. I I, I didn't let Malika get a word in edgewise, and I ruined your whole podcast. So we'll do it again. No, because, None's the wiser. Well, if I had to engineer anything, it just again back to shows. If I had to get a job in the real world. I'd be screwed. I'd be screwed. That's another oh, example. Oh, this beats working for a living well, for sure. That, that's 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 true. We we're, we're going to talk about your favorite team. Well, your childhood team. Yeah, I guess they're technically still Little Max's favorite team. Yeah, the Knicks. <laughs> you can say you left the Knicks, but I know you're you're dying to come. We'll get to that. But the team that's been you've spent some time talking about on this week on first take and. The, the Philadelphia 76ers, which is a, you know, sort of like probably the most talked about four or five seed maybe in the history of, <laughs> in the history of anything. Uh, ben Simmons is out now with, uh, nerve impingement in his back and he could be out a significant period of time. They're still working through that. And now as we tape this on Thursday, we're waiting for the MRI test results on Joel Embiid. He's been ruled out for this game with the Knicks, and and then we're going to get a sense of how long he may be out. But regardless, you look at this Sixer team right now, and you know they're going to be without Simmons, and you know with Joel, especially when there's a bigger load put on him, you're asking him to do more, that's where you worry about that body breaking down. Is he in the condition to play a ton of minutes and carry a huge load and and you know, shoulder sprain is a shoulder sprain. You got hit. That that's going to happen. But uh, th- this Sixer team, Max, even fully healthy, and when those two were on the court, it felt like at times each played their best basketball when the other was gone. The, the trick for them has been has been to can we play at a high level together, and and do we have the 
complementary pieces around us. And it's just been one thing after another for this Sixer team this season. And it's hard to imagine anything right now other than either a first-round exit or even if the stars aligned and they got Embiid back and he played at a high level, the idea of a conference semifinal on the road against Milwaukee or Toronto or this Boston team that looks different than the team we start saw at the start of the season because of Jason Tatum, like that's where it feels like the road ends in a best case scenario for Philly. All right, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Let me give you some theories, and 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 when I'm done, why don't you fill me? It's just great. Like you know how anyone listening, a lot of people listening, I know. Can you imagine like you have all these cockamamie NBA theories, and you had Woj here to like clean you up <laughs> on the information? Well, let me tell you, and then you can like all tweak the theory. So this is good. <clears throat> Let's start with Philadelphia. First of all, I disagree that they don't play well together. I think Embiid and Simmons play exceptionally well together. I think the point is they'd each be even better if you built a team around only one of them. You see what I mean? Like there's a subtle difference there. Yes, I think Simmons could be more like the freak, but with better handles. You know, like he could actually go get his own shot. Now whether he makes that shot is something else, but he could you could design a team like a Budenholzer style shooters all around him, team around Simmons. I think they'd be better than this Sixers team. You could get a haul for Embiid if he was healthy. But that's and same thing with Embiid. You see how he plays when Simmons is out. <clears throat> and the plus minus is you know, is better than the Bucks plus minus in a small sample size when it's just Embiid. <clears throat> so I think they, that's different than saying, you know, they can't play well together. When they're both together, it gives them a, a puncher's chance, even against Milwaukee, I believe. If you look at that MB freak matchup, MB gets the better of him as much as the freak gets better than them, and, and they're about even up over the last couple of years. So, I think, and, and, and yes, they're awful on the road, and they're great at home. This is why I think that is, Woj. I think that MB is self, um, load managing. I think this is a rudderless ship, the Sixers, starting with ownership, fish rots from the head down. I think that there's, that there, there's no plan. They're doing it ad hoc. And as a result, the reason MB doesn't actually go at it, like, as always, is because he's thinking, well, how much can I push this? Like, what, how, how hard should I go? He has to self load manage. I think that's one of the reasons at home, they're virtually unbeatable. One of the all time great teams at home. And it's not like Denver, they're playing at altitude with a team built for it. They're just, he's just playing in front of his fans. And on the road, they're like a, a lottery team. But you know what that tells me? If they're fully healthy, they just need to steal a game on the road. And they might beat anybody because they're impossible at home. And, now, and that's in a perfect world where both <laughs> Simmons and Embiid are playing in the playoffs. Yeah. And right they, now, they don't look we it. don't know. If, will they not have either of them? Will they have both? Will they maybe just have one of them? So that we, we may not be able to measure that scenario this year. That's right. We may not be able to, but I think here's the real issue with Philly if we take another step back. The reason Adam Silver, and you'll clean me up on the info, everything I get wrong here, but the reason Adam Silver is, by the way, people, hot takes and takes and all that stuff, it's just you go on the information, you try to connect some dots and and, and, and tell a story already, so about it. So you're already bracing it, right? for criticism. Is that what you're saying? No, no, oh, no. Okay. I understand. I'm just, that's why I'm saying, like, I welcome you cleaning up the yeah, oh, information. Okay, okay, that's yeah. just going to make right, the, right, even right, if right. it destroys my take, it'll still make okay. the next one better. Okay. okay. Adam Silver did not interfere in the process because it wasn't working. 
He interfered precisely because it was, because the process wasn't about tanking for a year. It was tanking for up to half a decade. And since it was working, like the idea is you may miss on this pick. You may not get enough. You know, the lottery balls may not go your way on that in that year. But if you if you stink for three or four or five years in a row, you're going to hit on some of them. And one or two of them will be generational franchise style players. And that's just what happened. They missed on some of them. Like Okafor is a miss, right? Fultz is a miss. But at least as a number one pick. But Simmons was a hit, and Embiid was a hit. So, so and, and Embiid, you came in, you, you got the third pick instead of the first pick, but you still hit. Okay, so because that was working, this was, in my view, Silver's concern. I can't have a league where half the teams are going to stink for half a decade. You, you, you can't have a league where there are two or three teams doing. What they let alone, let yeah. alone there be ten. It's a, you know copycats. Okay, yeah. so he he interferes and he says, "Here, bring in Jerry Colangelo." And Jerry Colangelo installs his son. Now, studies have shown that businesses with, you know, nepotism, when you, when the, when the kid just inherits the business, they function about 10 to 15% worse than businesses where the best available candidate winds up running the business, okay? And I think that could be said to be true in the Colangelo family as well. He was a disaster. Burner accounts and it's dissing Embiid and the burner account stuff. But not only that, this happened with the Cleveland Browns, too, when John Dorsey came in after Sashi Brown and all these guys. First, the super smart people with the PhDs and the staff from MIT come in. They amass huge treasure, you know, war chests, huge amounts of draft capital, etc. Now, maybe they don't know how to pull the trigger and actually turn that into from kin- from potential energy to kinetic energy, from a big war chest to actually a great team. Maybe they don't, but they're usually not given the chance because the owner gets impatient, or in this case, the commissioner steps in. This is working too well. You better stop. <laughs> then they bring in the basketball guy or the football guy. But a lot of times the guys aren't just aren't that smart. And so what they do is they pull some trigger on some deals early and everyone loves them because, of course, they have all this capital to spend. You can't not get good players on your team. The question is, do they make the right choices? Let's look at the Sixers. You traded a million draft picks and Shamit. I wouldn't trade Shamit for Harris straight up right now. They traded Shamit a million draft picks for Tobias Harris and then gave him $180 million. And then they signed the remains of Al Horford to another max contract style kind of deal. And what happened when Embiid went down? They didn't have Simmons or Embiid. Well, now there's one basketball. Now these guys can show what they can do. They can't do anything. They can't do anything. So with all the cap space they had, all the draft capital, Colangelo, as De Niro told Sylvester Stallone and Copland, you blew it. You blew it. And the crazy thing is even Elton Brand... Woj, you correct me if I'm wrong, but Elton Brand's installed as GM. He has to keep Brian Colangelo's staff. Let, so it, this is a dysfunctional franchise from the top. They should have left Sam Hinkie alone. He and, and, and ownership should have stood up to, to Adam Silver. They didn't. Here they are. All right, let's let's go back. Okay, the length, and I think people forget this sometimes too. The length of the process. The plan was for it to never go on as long as it did. But part of why it went on as long as it did was because of the injuries. The team didn't get any better initially because Embiid sat out a year. Nerlens Noel sat out. Ben Simmons sat out. Now I'm second-guessing myself on Noel. Did Noel sit out a I'm trying year? to remember, but Noel didn't ever turn into the kind of player people right, hoped. Right. So that like, was we don't That was a well. trade, right? That was the Drew Holiday draft night trade with New Orleans. And so it was a pick. And Holiday, it was they got the pick to take Nerlens, maybe, maybe something else in there. But, but 
you know, when you draft, but also when you drafted Joel Embiid, you knew that was a redshirt. You knew the injury he was coming off of, and then he re-injured it. He misses another year. So that's part of it, which is like a pretty rare occasion where you said, listen, we think he's the best player. I, I remember being in a gym in L.A. Um, during Joel's pre-draft. I had not really watched him really much at Kansas. And it was before he injured his foot uh, prior to the draft workouts and when he went in. And I just watched him two days in a gym in L.A. And just, and like, I'm watching him shoot the ball. And and I just said, wow, this is like, this guy, this is a Kim Elijah one. I remember just being blown away by him before any of the injuries. And then the injuries came that next month, and then we didn't see him again for, you know, uh, a couple of years. So, and then Simmons redshirts a year. So that extends this longer than I think even the plan was. You know, Brett Brown would always say, I never imagined it was going to be this. And I don't think Sam Hinkie thought it would be this long. Um, but they knew it wasn't a one-year process. No, they, knew they knew it was a multiple-year yes, process. that's right. That's right. And so I, I give them a little, like, and I don't, I don't Philly, know. Philly, like, Sixers fans were with it. No, they, they were with it. That was, they were with was it. The most amazing thing to me was that they had sold their fan base on this. And especially in a city like Philly, which is a tough city, it is a tough sports town, that when – and I think even Brian Colangelo – it shocked him a little bit, and I think the next regime that that the the longing for Sam Hinkie and the loyalty, the, the the fan base's connection to him, that surprised. I think that surprised everybody. So that's one thing. You talked about him being quote unquote saddled with Colangelo's staff. Mm-hmm. You know that staff largely was in there. Well, you know they hired Ned Cohen from the NBA, who's really well respected, and they. They have guys in there that I think would be that I think are respected around the league. I don't know that it was. Hey, I have a that. I'm not sure it's fair to say. Hey, Brian Colangelo's staff just met. You just had a bunch of people who blindly agreed with everything. No, Brian I'm not Colangelo suggesting that. Get. I mean, if you want to empower a new GM, if you want to but, go but in a Elton, new direction, remember, you got to let him get bring up, his guys. But Elton had come up within the organization. Yeah, they had given him. They had given him a G League team. <clears throat> he had relationships with those guys and. Elton knew that some of these guys had also competed for the job, and that's usually a dicey situation where do you want to be shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder there with a guy who wanted your job? You got it. Is he going to be? And he was fine with it. He really, when you say like Elton's guys, I think those really were Elton's guys. Okay. I think he believed. And ownership's got a lot of say in Philly. You have a group of owners who are involved, who are there. How many teams have like multiple owners courtside each corner of the arena each night. And so there's a lot, but that's the modern NBA. And so I'll give you that. And then, listen, the, the last one, hiring Brian Colangelo, Jerry, I don't think, I think part of what got the commissioner's attention at that time was not just the length of this, it was not just the length of the, of the process, but remember what was going on at the time. I always kind of referred to that. It was a little bit like the Lord of the Flies in Philly. You had all these young guys without veterans around for, for, in, without leadership being thrown into this. And remember, you know, Julia Locafor has the off the court thing in Boston and there was, there was a lot of issues around lack of leadership there. That were embarrassments, I think, to the organization, and and showed like it. You use the word rudderless, and I think there was, and I think Sam Hinkie would do this differently now. 
I think Sam needed to come out when he left decisions that he was making and problems that occurred with whether it was off the court stuff, locker room stuff. He was always leaving it to Brett Brown to have to explain everything. And some of them were not for Brett Brown to explain. They were for management to explain. And Sam Hinkie should have been out front articulating that or taking responsibility. I think that worried I think that was part of it, too. And those are like ownership concerns, too. I think Sam Hinkie would be better at it, like a lot of guys, would be better at it the next time in those areas. I think he would acknowledge some of that stuff. And so, and then the Brian Colangelo appointed by Jerry, it was, I think the fan base was so against it. And for obvious reasons, the nepotism, you talked about it. Brian Colangelo was a two-time executive of the year. He had been executive of the year in Toronto. He had been executive of the year in Phoenix. So it wasn't like he didn't have a track record. But obviously the decisions he made, and and none bigger than trading out of He looked at Tatum and he thought, nah, I don't want this guy. Yeah. (laughs) And, 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 you know, to be fair at the time, there were, like, there were plenty of people I really respected who thought Fultz was the best player. Tatum wasn't an athletic. Right. But, but was he so much better? That's where, but to trade another to trade another first round pick to move uh, uh, you know to move around only just a spot or two in the draft is was he ex- was he exponentially better that you give up another pick well, I don't think war- people felt that Woj, he had the war did. chest that Hinky had you know like you got to yeah. spend that cre- that that capital when I say like potential energy you know the the you rolled the ball up the hill now you can now you can it rolls down all by itself you built up hinky rolled the thing up the hill now you have all this kinetic uh, potential energy you just push it down the hill it's all you got you got to you got to spend it at some point the question is what how good are your decisions and colangelo's decisions were just bad those are bad decisions i mean they've minimized what was built up in philadelphia yeah that's listen he <laughs> He did not have a good run there. I mean, like that's that's like no kidding, right? So, uh, yeah, that, and that's and it's interesting because when they opened that job up, when Colangelo was gone, and before they promoted Elton Brand, they went after any number of high level accomplished executives around the league. They were willing to offer Daryl Morey, Bob Myers, yeah, Dennis Lindsay, Sam yeah. Presti. There may have been more. Can I say something about yeah. that, Woj? I don't want to argue that Hinky's way is the best way to do it, because I don't think it is. It is an effective way to go about business, but I think there are more optimal ways than that. So if you look at the Warriors organization, they try to comp- – this year is an aberration. Everyone's hurt. They lose Kevin Durant, and then everyone gets hurt. Okay, you're not going to compete this year, but their intention year in and year out is to compete, even though they don't have the number one overall pick. They identify talent. They use their imaginations the way the, the Baltimore Ravens did, Ozzie Newsom did with Lamar Jackson. You look at Steph Curry, whoever built a championship team around a guy like Steph, they used their imagination. Then they drafted him, and they developed him, and they developed a style of play around him. Same thing with Klay Thompson. He wasn't a top-five pick. Draymond Green. So that is the very best way to run an organization. Always try to compete every year. Even when you don't draft number one or two or three, do your best to scout, use your imagination, and then develop. I'm not claiming 
Hinky and the Sixers are the number one way to do things, right? But they're certainly better than complete garbage franchises like the Knicks, who who try to be good every year and always are unintentionally the worst team in the league. And it's better than other teams, too, who, who, who are on first or second round treadmills and never really have a chance to win a championship. So, uh, so I'm not trying to make it sound like that's the best way to do it, but it's far from the worst. Yeah, and I and I think it would be hard to replicate what Hinky did just with the draft lottery reform that went on. The league made it harder. You know, now the teams with the three worst records have an even an equal chance and a lower chance than the previous number one had. What it went from like what was it twenty five percent to like twelve and a half percent. Yeah, that's why I don't understand why Adam. Like, here's the real. So, thing like, that, when people talk about yeah. why would Golden State bring <clears throat> Steph Curry back? Well. They're going to have one of the three worst records in the league. And even if they have the fourth worst record or fifth, it is such a nominal percentage difference. And you're charging all this money. He wants to play. So, 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 what, to play. so what did Adam Silver really do there? And this is why I didn't like the interference with the way the Sixers were running their organization in the first place. And I, understand. And I will say this, though, Max, yeah. though, about interference. No one's going to tell – the owner's going to – like, no one can dictate to an owner, like – here's what you need to do in your management. Like, the suggestion can be made, but the Sixers, they own the team. I know, but the commissioner has a lot of clout. The commissioner has clout. They can bring pressure to bear. I mean, they still at times fight to get the votes they need. There's a group of owners now, and it is a different generation of owners than David Stern had to deal with. David Stern made the previous group of owners. He made them all rich. They bought teams for a few million dollars. So they shut up and let them run the league. He made them richer beyond their wildest dreams. So they let David run the league the way he – it was like – this is how it was described to me when – David Stern was transitioning out and Adam Silver was coming in. Somebody made a really good point to me that the power in the league, like if you looked at it as at our as our country, or I don't know how our country used to be, I guess, um, the power was in Washington. Um, the power was, well, well, well that the, in the league that, as an example, the power was in Washington. It was centralized with Stern. Now, under Adam Silver, it was going to become more state that the power would be distributed more localized, state, more yeah. localized, and that had nothing to do with the commissioner or the style or the. It had <laughs> the to nature do with, of the business. It had the so. nature of who but, the owners but, well, were. I think that here's the here's the issue. The reason the process was effective and potentially dangerous to the business of the league, you have to look at incentives. There were perverse incentives in terms of competition the way the draft was set up. So when someone figures out the rules to the game. If you don't like the results you're getting, change the rules. For example, if people don't – like everyone loves this style of – I don't love this style of the NBA. I don't like just everything in the the paint or three – or from three point. You know, like I know a lot of people do. But there are all kinds of rules you can put in place to get the product you want. Major League Baseball, it's all launch angles and shifts now. Because the – because when people – Look, the the best way to fight the, in MMA, it turns out, was rolling around on the ground for a half an hour, right? No, but people didn't want to watch that. So they tweaked the rules to get the consumer product they want. If Adam Silver didn't like the way the incentives were playing on the product, then you have to change the incentives, redo the way you do the draft, figure it out. But don't come in and tell a team, and, it, and nor should a team take that advice if you feel it's not as strong pressure as David Stern could put on once upon a time. 
uh, th- that should not be – no, here, take out this guy and put in that guy. No, fix the way the incentives work and you'll fix the way teams behave. Hey, listen, guys, anyone who has Max Kellerman's schedule, has as many shows, jobs as he does, as many kids as he does, anybody who's got to get through trade deadline, free agency, the NBA draft, you know how tiring all of this can be. And so whether you're on business or on vacation, a five-hour energy shot can help you stay alert and energized wherever you may be headed, whatever you may be doing. Five-hour energy helps you through your crazy, on-the-go life. With no sugar, four calories, and a convenient, portable size, it's the perfect pick-me-up for busy, hard-working people. Now it comes in two great extra-strength tropical tastes, strawberry banana and tropical burst. I am plowing through my case of those. They're delicious, and they can take you on a tropical, on-the-go experience. What's better than that? Try them both, then go online to shop the number five, ourenergy.com, and use the code WOJ, W-O-J, to receive a one-time offer of 10% off your order. Go to shop number five, ourenergy.com, and use the code WOJ to receive a one-time offer of 10% off. Five-hour energy, energy on the go. Speaking of organizations that Adam Silver it would have been nice for somebody to have helped fix a very long time ago or, or impact the, your New York Knicks. Do you have any more optimism today, Max, about the future of the Knicks than you did two years ago, four years ago, six years ago? Has anything changed um, your view of what what could be with the Knickerbockers, your Knickerbockers? If Dolan sells the team, the Knicks have a shot, depending on who he sells to. As long as he's the owner, they, they're hopeless because he's the worst. Now that Sterling's out of the league, he's the worst owner. And here's the thing. The Knicks are now worth $5 billion plus because largely these are real estate deals. Madison Square Garden and TV rights locally in New York are incredibly lucrative. So I think, well, $5 billion at a certain price, he's going to think, let me cash out. On the other hand, if you're worth $10 billion – and you could have any toy you want in the world. At least I know what I do. I buy a basketball team, right? So you already have the asset. Why would you sell it? That's what you do. If you, if you made, here's five billion. What do you want to do? I want to buy the Knicks. He already has the Knicks. So like it, it really comes down to Dolan. He is, his ego is too wrapped up in what he does. Um, he is the guy who always thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and is usually the sucker. And he has run that franchise into the ground and he thinks he's very clever because the valuation keeps going up but again you bought in new york city it's not you your daddy bought in new york city you can't you madison square garden you will always be like if this doesn't prove that that it's a real estate deal and and the location of madison square garden and the knicks and the tv rights are what makes them valuable what does they're the worst team in basketball every single year you saw it with prokhorov he bought where he bought he sold where he sold Moved the team to Brooklyn and made money on it, and he's out. He's out. How many yeah. billions from, of yeah. dollars yeah. later? Yeah. yeah, and they use that. That's even worse. They used eminent domain, but at least Prokhorov's a competitive guy. You know, like Dolan. And then I know it's it's just reported. It has not been confirmed. The burner accounts, the stuff that like uh, it's hilarious. If you see this burner account that was attributed by, and I don't know that it is. It may not be. If it is, it's hilarious. Dolan is what everyone wishes they could be. You know, and people are there going, uh, Jim, we know it's you. 
<laughs> or, or, or or there's like people who figure out what a burner account would sound like and then try to mimic it. I think that, that that's a whole maybe maybe that's the next iteration. I took a lot. All I know is when I saw that burner account, I took a bunch of screenshots because I knew someone would delete it, and sure enough, but I got the screenshots. All right, all right. You know the thing with the Knicks is, and we've seen you, you look at where free agents. Everyone is talking about, and, and I think this is where Dolan continually gets it wrong. Whoever it is that's in his ear that tells them, I'm going to deliver, help you deliver this free agent or that big player, that no one, this is not college recruiting, and no one, like, there has to be, you can get two or three great players in college basketball to go to a place, charismatic coach, and you can recruit a team, and then they can become the team, and and all of a sudden you put something that's not on the map on the map. It doesn't work that way in the NBA. What works is... You build a team, an organization, a structure, a scouting department. You draft well. You bring in guys. You look at what Brooklyn did, bringing in Spencer Dinwiddie off the scrap heap and Joe Harris, and then all of a sudden these guys become, um, you know, better than average starting players and and uh, draft in the twenties and get Karis Levert and get Jared Allen in the twenties of the draft, right? And so that, and now you've built your infrastructure. So now when you go out and say, hey, Kevin Durant, hey, Kyrie Irving, imagine you sliding in into our two max slots or our one max slot where every team is. We've got the role players in place. It's what the Clippers did with. I have uh, a slightly different right. take on this. Okay. I understand because it's the same information. I agree with your analysis, but my, my take about what motivates the other players psychologically is a little different. I don't think it's so much that we already have the infrastructure in place in terms of the product on the floor. Now, the Clippers may be different. They won 48 games, and they ch- they ch- changed uh, Shea uh, Gilgis-Alexander and uh, Danilo Gallinari into Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. So same team except those two gets transferred. Oh, my God. Um, so sometimes it's a little different. But I think by and large, what it does – it's like the Knicks continually try to clean, clear the decks and then say, hey, New York City, Madison Square Garden, come take our money because we have nothing but cap space and we'll build a team around you. And they don't do it. I think the reason the teams like the Nets that you say demonstrate, they can find a Dinwiddie, they can find a Levert later on in the draft off the scrap heap. They have a competent coach. It's not that the, that the, inf- that the uh, team infrastructure is already there. It's that the organization has demonstrated we are healthy. Yes. We're a healthy organization. And even if the Nets had to clear the decks and they had, oh, you know what? Our, our entire roster is clean now. But guys like KDC, I see the way these guys go about their business. That is a yeah. winning culture from the top down. The Nets did it. The Knicks, whoa, I know it's not a warm weather city and that makes a difference. And it's not a no tax state and that makes a difference. But in New York City, you can't get in Decades now. It's been decades, plural, that Jim Dolan's owned the team. You can't get anyone ever you to have, take your you, money? You have to try really hard to screw it up as bad as it's been screwed up. That nobody um, – like, listen, you can go back through the last decade. Look where the big free agents have gone. They've gone to – in various – whether it's – you know, now it's the L.A. teams, it's Miami, and Miami is its own unique – it's Pat Riley, and it's what they yeah. built. International cosmopolitan city, yeah. by the way, and warm weather. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and but but the Knicks, nobody wants to come to New York and get their head kicked in right. in a bad organization in the media to be treated as a savior. But no, I can't do it alone. Like yeah, the Knicks, 
And also now we have a generation of players who've grown up, grown up, never seen them any good. Like, like they've never seen them any good. And, but if they just were competent, if you, if you transposed the Orlando Magic organization to Madison Square Garden and you said, here's our team and, uh, you know, we're fighting to, we, we're going to get, we got in the playoffs a couple straight years and no cap issues. Yeah, we got some like, good young you players. Know, like people would be like, We'd be able to put them on TV at ESPN and have people watch them. People in New York would be like, and that is the most. And I'm not like they're running a good organization in Orlando. They got a good coach. They got a good front office. They're they're building around some young players. They can't even do the most minimal. And we can go back to Chris Apps Porzingis. I was about to bring you, that you up. Just you can't like the one guy you hit on. You just we talked we talked about it. We've written about it. You you cannot. I see Frank Isola walking behind you. Frank, we could get Frank going. This is really this. like a This Is Sports Center commercial, by the way, yeah, when you hang Frank's, out at ESPN. Frank's wandering. Like, the next general manager of the New York Knicks, Frank Isola. I would, um, I, that's why I hope Leon hires we'll, is Isola. Sometimes for inspiration, you just have to look up. For more than 60 years, the Goodyear blimp has fueled greatness on the gridiron by providing aerial coverage of some of the most legendary moments in college football history. When the Goodyear blimp rises above a stadium, it inspires players to reach higher and rise to the challenge of the game's biggest moments. Now it's your turn to go further with Goodyear. Discover tires made to rise above the rest. Learn more at Goodyear.com. Goodyear, more driven. Guys, we've all had our fair share of sad breakfasts. Beige, plastic-wrapped, brick-shaped protein bars, day-old break-room donuts, frozen breakfast trays, Not exactly our finest moments. But now that McChicken breakfast sandwiches are on the McDonald's breakfast menu, we should never go back to those old sad breakfasts. The McDonald's McChicken is a breakfast worth getting up for. It's time to change your life for breakfast. Buttery, crispy McChicken biscuits and savory sweet chicken McGriddles. Freshly prepared and now available nationwide at McDonald's. That's how you wake up breakfast at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Porzingis. Let's take Porzingis, okay? He fell from the heavens because the Knicks drafted fourth. We know if they drafted in the top three, they would have screwed that. It would have wound up with Okafor. They didn't have the guts to draft Porzingis. I don't care who saw what. They didn't. No one. And by the way, they're not alone. No one had the guts to draft him ahead of where he drafted. That's why he went fourth and Okafor went third. Well, I'll say this. You know, you mentioned Philly. They he never went down and worked out for Philly at the time. Uh, Porzingis and Nerlens Noel had the same agent, Andy Miller. I don't think he was enthusiastic about number one. He was cautious about the the environment we had talked about in Philly, where they were still trying to and having Nerlens and Porzingis on the same team weren't appealing. They didn't get the work. They didn't get. They tried to get Porzingis down to Philly. Hinky did in the days before the draft, and it didn't happen. But um, you're right, and. The Lakers, I remember Porzingis telling me this, his workout with the Lakers, what Mitch Kupchak liked to do with work with players was ex- run them into the ground in their workout. And Porzingis worked out for them. He had just gotten off the plane from like, maybe it was like Europe, Vegas. He was tired. And they ran him. I remember he said to me, he was like so dizzy at one point. He thought he was going to pass out. And he kept saying to himself, it's good to do a seven like, three guy. You, you've got to stay on your feet. You've got to. And they went with, they went with, um, you know, D'Angelo Russell. They went with a point guard. But, but anyway, 
But but that, they yeah. weren't. Listen, Porzingis. They, they, no one had the guts to draft them ahead of four. It was going to be. It was You're always right. going to be Carl Anthony Towns, and then either Okafor, or D'Angelo Russell. And so you were kind of lucky to draft. But they got fourth. him. But they got. They got him. They got so him. okay. So the, so you luckily of... don't draft higher. Or you would have made a mistake. But he falls into your lap, and you take him. Great. Now. They actually got to a place with Chris Stapp's freaking Porzingis, a seven foot three defensive monster who can rebound, who can defend the rim, who can defend in space, who can take you off the dribble, who can shoot the three, who can post up if he has to, though he doesn't like to. He, and, and whose defense was already elite and whose offense was just starting to kick in. You take that and, and guy. Max, and who loved loved, loved New York, loved New York, loved, he New York. loved the Garden, he and the Garden loved, loved him. He loved it, and right, and the okay. Garden loved him. Okay, yeah. you take that, and you actually have the nerve to come before your fans a couple years later, and say we traded him on his rookie deal to clear the decks cap space so that we could sign KD and Kyrie. Hold on a second. Wait, stop right there. You mean just like the Houston Rockets once upon a time? Uh, Used Olajuwon to get out of cat problems, so that oh no 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 they built around Olajuwon, like the <laughs> Mavericks said. Well, Dirk's rookie deal is up. We're going to move him now, so we can sign two free agents. No, you build around Dirk. You build around Tim Duncan. You build around Porzingis. Now, the only reason you have to move him is because number one, you have cap problems in the first place. That's your fault. And number two, you so poisoned the well with Porzingis that he no longer he, wants he, to he's, be there. He's threatening to sign his qualifying offer oh, that summer not to his extension. And then become an unrestricted free agent the following year. Every team knows when you draft high up and you have a franchise-level player. Every team knows the same thing. Or New Orleans, they know it right now. We have six years to win a championship with Zion because then he's going to go to some big market like New York. right? Like He's going to – we have six years if you're a small market to do something. Going into his – before his seventh season, his agent will come to us and say, you might as well trade him now because he's going to sign somewhere else next year. But before then, incentives with contracts keeps him in place for six years. Okay. The Knicks are the big market, and after four years, had to move them to get themselves out of a bad cap situation so that they think they're attracting free agents. Hey, whatever genius figured that out, the point about a guy like Porzingis, who you can grandfather the contract in and go through your cap is, hey, KD and Kyrie or whoever else, you get to play with Chris Stapp's Porzingis. It's not just that we can sign two of you. We already have Dwayne Wade, LeBron, and Bosh. You want to come? It's that. We, we can now afford three superstars instead of two. Only the dumbest, most incompetent organization can screw that up, and the Knicks win the prize. Well, and even before that, they had a chance when Phil Jackson left to, and I think part of the problem for the Knicks was that Porzingis clumped in, and rightly so, because he was at the top, clumped in Steve Mills as part of the things that had, and, and how the organization was run. That frustrated him from the Phil Jackson era. Here, here's the thing. wound up firing anyway. Right. And like, I mean. the, the thing with Porzingis was he came in so earnest. I was with him. I was with him the first day he came to New York. But it was before the draft. It was before he had worked out in Vegas when the whole Knicks staff was there, uh, which was the first time Phil Jackson, I believe, had seen him in person. And I met him. I, I went and had lunch with him. We, I remember we got in a car, we rode through Manhattan. I remember him creening his neck out the window looking at the, the skyscrapers. He'd never been to New York. He'd just gotten to the United States for the first time. And Anyway, and so I remember going to lunch and sitting and talking with him. And there was just something 
you, you, you don't always get this with 18, 19 year olds, but like it just jumped out about how serious minded he was, how important it was for him to be a great player, how just it jumped out at you. And then he, it, refl- it wasn't just talk, but you would see it reflected in how he worked at it and the things and early on in New York. And then that place turned him so sour, bitter, cynical in such a short time. You know, he would go around to other players and organizations and say to them, like, what are my responsibilities as a franchise player? What do I need to expect from my organization? I know one player he went to and said, like, what do I need from, like, what should I expect from the coaching staff, management, ownership, training staff, PR, and, and, and a really smart player from a good organi- very good organization sort of laid it out to him. Here's what I expect from them, and here's what my responsibility is and all that. And, like, not many 20, 20-year-olds are going out trying to... Now, does that mean Chris Stapps was without fault? No. W- were there some things that he was immature about? Yes. But at the end of the day, the guy wanted to be in New York. He wanted to play for the Knicks. He wanted it to work. He loved being the toast of the town. He loved living in the city. And and it is your responsibility as an organization to give him the environment where it just validates all those feelings he has. And and, you, and, and he's not asking for a trade like before his rookie contract. It's almost unprecedented to be asking for a trade before your rookie deal is up. That, that's hard. It may be unprecedented. By the way, Magic Johnson made mistakes and, and at times was immature and, and clashed with the organization early on, and they didn't trade him. Hey, Co- Kobe asked out. Kobe asked like, hey, out, too, and now. after they won championships. The thing about Porzingis, once upon a time, before he got hurt, I thought he has a chance to be the best player in the world. Like he's the type of player you're in the you're in a conference with Porzingis. GMs have to think about every GM around the around your conference has to think about what are we going to do about that guy. We got to account for him. He's that kind of impact player. I now believe he can be the best second banana in the world. Maybe not the best player. Right. Um, if he stays healthy, if he stays healthy, oh, the Mavericks will surely win minimum one championship. But mi- that's minimum. They may win several. Luca and Port. People are still sleeping on the kind of talent that Porzingis is. He's two inches taller than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and can bomb threes and shut down your offense. Give him him a full season. His defense is ridiculous. He missed anybody who misses a full season with that kind of injury. It just right. It's it's not going to be this year. This is not him. It's next year. You don't. You know, nights where you go over, and that's happened. That said, Woj, I know someone in the Mavs um, organization who's very worried about his health. You know, like they, there's worry that he can because he's a you know a giant yeah. and he's already had an issue, so they're worried about his health. If his health holds up, it, the Mavericks are going to be impossible, and the Knicks just gifted it to them. You've got to go pick up your daughter at school, even on the I road, do. Max. I do for ten days. This is a lot of fun. Well, welcome home. Thanks for I have jumping actual on the pod, information man. to sink my teeth into. Now <laughs> I'm going to refine all my takes. Well, we'll do this. We'll do this again soon, man. I, I appreciate it as always. Thank you, brother. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. And, of course, a big thank you to our guest, Max Kellerman. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next time. 